0: Hey, this is Mike C. of The Natural Man Podcast. I got to get this out of the way right off the top. The Natural Man Podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only and should not be constituted as medical advice or diagnosis of any kind or as a substitute for medical treatment. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician. Do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation. If you suspect that you have a medical problem, you are urged to seek competent medical help. The Natural Man Podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcomes that may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of the Natural Man Podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent, and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of The Natural Man Podcast. That's it. Here we go. This is The Natural Man Podcast with Mike C. Welcome to The Natural Man Podcast. My name is Mike C. We're glad you're back with us for another episode. Uh, This is an exploration into health, wellness, and discovering new ways to improve one's vitality. And uh, today we're really blessed. We've got a special guest, a three-time cancer survivor, Suzanne Mulroy. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, Mike. It's my pleasure. My absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. Awesome. Um, So you've shared your story with me. Um, You have, we were diagnosed with cancer three times. Is that right?
1: Yes, three times in eight years. It was breast cancer. Um, And and interestingly enough, is that I was perfectly healthy and all my mammograms were normal. So it was quite a shocker to say the least um, when the first diagnosis came and then the second and then the third. (laughs) So it completely put my life on a different trajectory. That was for sure.
0: Yeah, so um, how did that come about? Like what? when were you were first diagnosed, what was going on? Like how, how did you come across the diagnosis if you were feeling okay?
1: Well, in October of 2006, I had a full physical and I got a clean bill of health. And the one thing they said was go get a mammogram. And then I was moving from Los Angeles to San Diego and I kind of put that off to the side. And in January of 2007, i was watching tv and i don't know what made me i just grabbed the side of my breast and i found a lump and i I, there was just this like when i started to touch it i went oh my there i went oh my god like there was this feeling of despair and i so i knew that if you catch cancer early and i know if you catch cancer early that it will um you can you've got a much better chance of of fighting it and surviving it and i had just moved to san diego and had no doctor well you can't just go and get a mammogram without a doctor's note or a prescription i literally fought my way I, i i called this doctor i couldn't get in to see him for a month i begged him he wrote the prescription i got the mammogram Um, It actually came back normal, but because I had a lump, they did a biopsy and the biopsy um, came back um, ductal carcinoma and it was invasive, they said, and it was um, one point, they thought it was a 1.9 centimeter, but when they did the surgery, it was two. So it was stage two. And I did radiation. I did lumpectomy and radiation because in 2007, breast preservation was the big thing. The acnotype test came out. Um, prescribing tamoxifen was really new. And some most insurance companies weren't even covering it at that time. Um, and so I, you know, did what, what they told me, even though I was into holistic health. I mean, my friends were freaking out because they said, if you got cancer, what what are our odds? because I, everything they tell you to eat and do, I was already doing it. And the second time, so that was in 07 and in 2011, I was diagnosed with lobular carcinoma in my right breast, stage one, did radiation, went back to me. Um, And I think there was a contributing factor to that. When I look back, I had all of the mercury fillings taken out of my Teeth. And I thought I went to a biological dentist, but um, I don't think I did. And he, I, I didn't do it properly. He didn't do it properly. Removal of mercury fillings is like asbestos. If you leave them in, they're typically harmless. But when they're being removed, the mercury goes into your bloodstream. And I got really, really sick.
0: Um, After you had the amalgams removed. I did. Wow.
1: I mean, and I believe that that was a contributing factor to the second cancer diagnosis. and Because my body literally stopped absorbing nutrients. My liver, um, which I had contracted hepatitis B back in the 90s, um, it just, it wasn't able to, to filter out all the mercury. And there was a percentage of people on this planet whose bodies don't filter out mercury very well. And unbeknownst to me at the time, I was one of those people. So I highly recommend to people that if you are doing that, do it when you're well, not when you're sick and make sure you go to an appropriate doctor who knows the precautions to take. And I always recommend chelation after because you've got to remove that metal, all those heavy metals out of your bloodstream. And we have to help our body to do that
0: absolutely so so what kind of symptoms did you were you noticing when you had the amalgams removed
1: um you know it was digestion it was a lot of digestion uh, weakness you know foggy brain uh, just fatigued on a level and when you've been diagnosed with any kind of degenerative disease and, and especially cancer it's like you know right in your heart and your soul you know when you're sick and you know when you're not and i knew i remember saying to my boss at the time i was like there's something not right i can feel it so i went to a naturopath because all my blood work was fine you know the basic blood work that they do at the hospitals my liver function was fine my kidneys were fine my cholesterol was fine so as far as they were concerned i was healthy But I wasn't. I'm like, I am not. How can you even say I'm healthy? So I went to a naturopath and we did food allergy tests. He tested me for all of like every nutrient under the sun, which I had been taking a ton of supplements, but I wasn't absorbing anything. I was devoid of everything. He said to me, you literally have no B12 in your system. How are you not saying you're tired? I'm like, I am saying I'm tired. No one will listen to me. And then I realized, I learned that I was allergic, highly allergic to egg whites. And I used to eat eggs all the time. I would feel tired after I ate them. But you know, you kind of, you know, not so tired. It wasn't like I got sick, but I just didn't feel great. But, you know, it was a go-to food. I worked a lot. I would come home, make scrambled eggs or poached eggs. And it tasted delicious, but my body could not deal with it. So I just kept doing things that were depleting me, and I wasn't doing anything to replenish. And it just got to the point where my body was just having a system failure. And so um, there you have it. My doctor was like, well you know yeah your boobs this is this is a quote your boobs just like to
0: make cancer (laughs) what What a strange comment
1: oh (laughs) you can't even imagine some of the things they told me and uh when i was diagnosed the third time my radiologist said i i radiated the bejesus out of those things nothing should grow in there okay and i was like well apparently something did because in 2013, they had, I get a call, I go, you know, I used to get MRI, breast MRIs because my mammograms always came back normal. So in 2013, I went for my annual checkup, which is frightening. I mean, I used to, I have PTSD every February. I would get like crying and in this horrible mood and I didn't understand. And it was because these tests were coming up and I was even though I wasn't consciously in fear, I was in a lot of fear about like, oh my God, what is gonna happen? And so I went and got my MRI and my doctor was on vacation and a doctor from her office calls me and says, the spot in your left breast has grown and we want a biopsy. And I said, well, what's the spot? And I dead silence, Russell, 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 he's going through the paperwork. They had never told me they were following this. And as my doctor said, I just, you know, we, I just didn't think it was going to grow. Like I didn't want to upset you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm stunned. So I go to UCLA, the top doctor there. I'm like, okay, what, what, what do we need to do? And it basically, they wanted to give me a mastectomy. But once you have been radiated they can't your tissue is dead so they can't do reconstruction so and in 2007 i was not a candidate for a mastectomy because i would have just done that route because i'm very thin i didn't have enough body fat so they didn't they said i wasn't a candidate and i said okay fine you know whatever well fast forward to 2013 since there's nothing else they can offer me They want to do a mastectomy and she says to me, well, I'm going to treat you like I treat all my model girls and we're going to take the fat from your butt and we're going to create padding in your breast, but you're going to have to wear special underwear because the bump in your butt's going to go away and your pants are going to fall off. And she is saying this to me, like, she's just like giving, like just talking about the weather and I like, and then I have to do like, I don't know how many rounds of chemo, and then I have to go to therapy. And I was thinking, well, yeah, I'm sure I'm in therapy after (laughs) the simulation you want to do. And I looked at her and I didn't say it, but I thought, you want my tits and my ass? I don't think so. And I walk out of there and I am sobbing. And I mean, I'm in the elevator with people and it's a medical right facility. So nobody's really paying attention and I'm just like heartbroken I'm like what I'm like 50 years old and I you know I'm like a vital woman I was like what I mean I couldn't even imagine living my life like that and when I went to see my oncologist she was like well these are all your choices this is this is all you can do and I remember leaving there and I said I You have three choices. You have limited choices. I have unlimited because I chose not to do chemo because I knew it would kill me. And what she said when I had, you know, and the interest, so, and I have no regret ever because would it have prevented the cancer in my, my right breast? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know that. And that's exactly what my oncologist said. The thing is, is I'm like, how did you guys not even find this? I mean, I've been coming here for a long. How did you not find a spot in my right breast? Hmm. So I think what saved my life, as my natural path said to me, because I was angry for a while because I had done all the things that the medical establishment is telling you. I ate a whole food plant-based diet. It was primarily vegan, vegetarian, because I did eat some cheese. You know, I really tried to, to take care of myself. And then I have this like cancer diagnosis and I'm like, how is this even possible? And that my must nat- be a shock.
0: Oh, like just yaw. when you're, when you're living that lifestyle, you, you like, assume you've got those safeguards in there that you're not going to get a diagnosis like that. So that's just right out of left field.
1: Well, here's what my natural past said to me. And he said, your lifestyle saved your life. And he said, I know, you know, he goes, we don't know why a seemingly healthy person gets cancer. We don't know that cancer is hundreds of different diseases, right? The reason I got breast cancer is different than why somebody else would get it, right? No, no diagnosis is the same, even though it might have the same name. And that was a huge paradigm shift for me when he said that it was like, phew. And it, and it helped me navigate and then i dove into learning well what did i do wrong right and then that's when i realized how contaminated our food and air and water is and that what i thought i was doing to take care of myself was literally poisoning me
0: now let me ask you something um you were living this holistic lifestyle and then you say you realized you were contaminated um were you doing any kind of detox at that time in that lifestyle
1: um it's a really good question not before i um was diagnosed with cancer no i did not like i would not a full-on detox i uh no once i was diagnosed i did do you know i obviously went into a huge detox but you know even prior like to when i was diagnosed in 2007 like we you know it really wasn't people weren't talking about detoxification for healthy people right um and i never thought i was toxic yeah you know, i was a workaholic i mean i think part of my diagnosis was stress related that's all i i mean i would travel sometimes 275 days out of the year you know you, you we we abuse our bodies um with our lifestyle and and i always tell people you can't give from a full cup you can only give if your cup is overflowing and most of us our cups are like half full and we're still giving And you know and when you're young you know it's different right our bodies have more resilience but year after year of just you know abuse on every level and even if it's not blatant abuse but just the you know the lifestyle the diet the lack of sleep the alcohol the drugs the pharmaceuticals what we're doing to our body on a day-to-day basis year after year you know it starts to break down
0: yeah and then but i mean it's right and it's it's i guess it just floors me because it sounds like you weren't doing a lot of that when you had your diagnosis is that cr- I mean, you you were you were living a holistic lifestyle, and you hear of so many cancer diagnoses diagnoses in people who are just sort of eating the standard American diet, and then you know you'll hear people attribute it to well, you know, it was the uh, not enough fruits and vegetables, you know, low antioxidant diet, uh, too much sodium, all those different things, um, but. It's I, again, I don't mean to harp on this, but it must have just been flooring for it must have been just been been so overwhelming to um, to have that diagnosis with the way that you were living.
1: Oh, it was. I mean it was shock. I mean, it was a shock. I mean, it brought me to my knees. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing is that I prior to my diagnosis, I didn't have much compassion for people who were sick because I grew up you you know if my fell down and my knees got scraped my mom would brush them off kiss them and on I went right we didn't it, yeah. I wasn't encouraged to dwell on it or like oh you know it wasn't a big difference you were sick, you rested you got well, you moved on. Um, and so I, I, and I had people who reported to me. And I remember when people would call in sick and I would just like, like raise, like roll my eyes and, you know, stuff like that. I look and I cringe. I am not proud of that part of myself. So what the gift cancer has given me is a compassion for life. And for what people go through, not just illness, but we're all carrying something. We all go through so much trauma. And I work with cancer patients now, and I am in awe of what people go through and live through and overcome in their life. Um, and and that's, the, that's the gift it gave me to have this amazing compassion, because I know now, I know what it's like to be brought to your knees by disease. And I also know what it's like to to lift yourself up with your own volition, but also with the people around you. You know, the support yeah. of people.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really changes you. I mean, uh, I, I've had my share of struggles that I, I've I've uh, shared in previous podcast episodes, and um, it it definitely changes you. And you see suffering through a different set of eyes and there's there's a compassion that sort of develops because you just know how painful it is when you're ill and how alone and isolating that can feel and um you just you just want to help people i mean that's part of the reason why i started this podcast was just that almost sort of take a, a patient advocate type role and just encourage people and show them different avenues for how they can achieve wellness, because I don't think we're really showed that typically at the doctor's office. It's just, you know, pill for every re- a pill for every ill and and yeah. off you go. That's and right. there's so much more that the human body needs. And I, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I tell you this, because you probably know this better than me. Um, but well, there's just a lot to be said for that.
1: Well, and there is and you know, and look, I'm not I am not against allopathic medicine and I'm not against medication. I think it's overprescribed. And I think people think that they can take a pill and they can get well. And what I tell people, if you're taking a pill for the rest of your life, that that you're only masking symptoms, right? You are not going to the root cause. And, and most illness can be turned around with a lifestyle change. And it's, and some of that, and change is is uncomfortable. Most people don't want to. And look, I am an advocate of freedom of choice for everything. I believe that individuals should have the right to choose um, whatever path they want. And I get how hard this decision is, but it's not an easy fix. If it were, I mean, I tell people, look, if I thought chemo worked, I would tell everybody to do it. In late stage or aggressive diseases, ag- aggressive cancers, it has its place. But for a non-aggressive cancer, I just think that as it's too severe. As my cousin, who is a cancer researcher, dis- this is how he described chemo to me. It's like killing a, sh- a mosquito with a shotgun. That's what, what chemo is. And I think it's too aggressive. I also personally, for certain cancers, not all. Um, and I think people have to change their lifestyle. The first two times, I I didn't really change my lifestyle. I mean, I, I was educating myself, but I still worked crazy hours. I still traveled. I still ate meat. I still drank wine. I, I still did these things. I, I still was stressed beyond belief. It was the third time where I was like, okay, well, something's up here. I need to really rethink this. Um, and I did have surgery, which was a debacle because they couldn't find anything. When you have breast cancer, they put in this like tag on the tumor so that when they go in, they can find it. And they lost the tag, so they couldn't find it. It was just this thing. And so I come out of surgery, and I I know I'm not going to do chemo. I know, you know, I'm not going to do this mastectomy. There's no. I was like, no. There's like. This is not what I'm gonna do. So I started researching and I looked at Germany. I looked at even IPT, insulin potentiated chemo, which is a low dose chemo. I looked at that and I looked at the Gerson therapy. And then I did my health goals. I was like, well, what do I really believe about health, right? I didn't ever really thought about it. I was like, what is my belief system? And I got so clear that I believe my body knows how to heal itself. When I provide the right conditions and food is thy medicine and medicine is thy food. So it was a no brainer for me. And six years ago, I went to the Gerson clinic at Northern Baja Gerson Center and I have never, ever looked back. And mm-hmm. if that is not, it's not an easy therapy to do. It, you know, it requires everything you have and then some, but sure. chemo destroys every cell. And I was like, I want to replenish, I'm so depleted that if I deplete myself any more than I already am, this isn't going to this isn't going to work, I need to replenish myself. And the third time or the second time I was diagnosed, I postponed my radiation for six weeks so I could build my body up. And my radiologist wasn't happy about it at first, but when I literally said to her, I am so depleted right now that if I do radiation, I'm gonna dig such a deep hole of depletion that it's gonna take me forever to get out of it. So let me build up my body and then I'll do this. And if I knew then what I know now, I would not have done the radiation, but Hmm. they scared me. And I'm not making recommendations. You know, everybody has to do their due diligence. They have to research, they have to ask the questions and make whatever choice is right for them and their family. When I chose not to do chemo, I held a family meeting and I asked, I asked my family, I said, this is the choice I'm making, but this choice affects all of us. It's not just my choice because whatever I chose, my family would ultimately, right? They, I, my, my, my life or my death or my illness, they would be part of that. And they were 100% supportive.
0: That's awesome. You know, there's a lot of cases where people don't get the support when they make a personal decision that they feel is best for themselves. Um, Especially when you didn't go the sort of uh, quote-unquote orthodox route, but you actually tried something alternative, for lack of a better term. Um, And that can be daunting if you don't have the support of the most important people around you.
1: It it is daunting. And I, I tell people, look, they're just scared right a lot of times and what i was able to realize and i kind of put myself in my family and my friend's place is that that when you're diagnosed with an illness It's all of a sudden the people around you, their mortality is now in question. They have to look at themselves. No, you know, it's not pleasant, right? Illness is not a pleasant experience. People don't wanna talk about it. Let's not go there. You know, let's not do this. You know, everybody wants to live in this happy little bubble, but this is the reality oftentimes. I mean, one in two people will be diagnosed with cancer. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. this this horrifying
0: statistics
1: horrifying horrifying and most well what i find interesting is the people i work with there's people that think about what would i do if i had cancer and then there's people who like me were like never even crossed my mind. And I encourage people to think about if you were diagnosed with diabetes, if you were diagnosed with heart disease, if you were diagnosed with cancer or Lyme disease or whatever it is that's out there, what, what would you do? What is your plan of action? Because when you're sick, you're not in the right mindset, right? To make decisions and you're scared and the doctors scare us, you know, and you know and maybe it's to get us to move, right? you know? but it is a scary diagnosis. And I was told that I was gonna be dead in five years. That was in 2007, that was 13 years ago. Um, uh-huh. if I didn't do chemo. And you know what? I got mad. I was like, I used vulgarity and I called her a name that's two words. And I wow. was so mad. And then I had gotten all my records. And they said that I was um, an uncooperative patient. But what I've learned is uncooperative patients live longer, because I took mm. my health in my own hands. And I was like, you know, when I ask questions, and you know, it's like, don't shush me don't blow me off. This is my body, my health, and this is the message that I have for everyone out there. You don't have to take everything they say as, as that's it, right? As the definitive answer. Research, look what's out there. What, uh, what is it that literally resonates with you so that you can get well? Because we know the placebo effect works. And if you believe that something will work and cure you, it will. And if you believe it won't, it won't. And if you're doing something out of fear, it's not gonna work.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's um, recovering from a chronic condition. So what you're saying is it's just as much mental as it is physical. So you can take all the supplements in the world, you can juice 24 hours a day, but if you're not in the right headspace um that's a huge obstacle to recovering
1: well and if you're drinking your juice and going oh this is horrible oh i hate it oh i feel like i'm gonna get sick how is it gonna help you okay you know what i tell people don't eat when you have guilt about what you're eating if you're gonna eat something enjoy it don't feel bad about it if it if you feel sick you're not food is energy It's supposed to give us energy, but it's so devoid of nutrients, most of what we eat that it literally makes us feel tired and weighed down and bloated and full. That is not how food is supposed to make us feel. Food is fuel and most people, they care more about the gas they put into their car the quality of gas that they put into their car than the actual quality of food they put into their body
0: no kidding that's a great analogy it's true you're absolutely right and i I, i'll tell you how far i go i'm i'm neurotic okay (laughs) i take things too far my my thing is everything i eat and i'm not kidding this is probably this is probably not good mentally but everything I eat before I eat it I'm like okay I know what this is doing to my body that's just how I'm programmed and it's not like I'm I don't wake up anxious and concerned mm-hmm. but it does motivate me to nourish myself and so I juice organic juice every wow. day um, I eat organic grains um, I don't eat a ton of animal products I mean I'm plant-based but you know the animal products I eat are organic, you know, um, uh, pasture raised free range, those kind of things. So, I mean, and then when I'm going to reach for that cookie or that snack, I know very well, you know, it's not helping me, but I have it cause I'm indulging, but that's sort of how I approach it. And that's probably too far. I'm not telling anybody to do that. Um, but that helps me stay in line and not eat terribly 24 hours a day.
1: Well, absolutely. And I am a firm believer that like I tell people at 70, 30 or 80, 20, 90, 10, depending on your, your, your current health status and really what you can, you can handle mentally, but it's like, you know, so it's 70% of the time or 80% of the time or 90% of the time you're eating plant-based whole food plant-based. So there's no label, it's not vegan. It's not, it's grows from a tree or the ground. Because those that is what God has intended for this body. It is what nature is given. We are given everything we need. If it's processed, our body has to take from our reserves to convert it into something that it can utilize. You can, you don't you're eating constantly from cans and boxes and bags, and you look at those ingredients. Half of them are chemicals and your body doesn't know what to do with that and you're not getting nourishment because it does, our body needs, it needs complex, the complex carbohydrates. It needs the complex nurture nutrients because they all work together. And then again, the depletion happens after year after year, right? Of just eating white rice, white flour, white cakes, cookies, pasta, ice cream constantly you know bagged burritos um even if you you know boxed food oh, yeah. and even um i tell people even if it says organic it comes from a box it's processed and that is um and you just have to keep that to a limited a very uh, small percentage of your overall diet so i like to say this is how when people ask me, I, what do you you know, are you a vegan? Are you this? Or, you know, I say, I'm a whole food plant based flexitarian. So meaning flexitarian, flexitarian. I mean, if I go out to somebody's house, you know, it's like, don't worry, like, it's okay, like, if something, you know, I might eat something that I wouldn't eat at home. So at home, this is where I do it right 100% of the time. And then when I go out, I can have that 20%, right? Um, And then if I'm feeling low, I move it up to 90% or 95% for a limited amount of time. And then I, you know, so it's not like we have to be slaves to this lifestyle, but it then it just becomes natural. And when you start eating clean, it's like your whole taste buds will change. It's a game changer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I am amazed at how much better I feel overall in just making wiser food choices. And you're right, it just becomes second nature. Your your taste buds definitely change and you actually feel better. Like I can remember years ago when I was chronically tired every day. Like I couldn't even I couldn't even go see a movie in a theater. I would fall asleep no matter how great the movie was. That's how burnt out I was no matter the time of day. And now to be able to just be more awake and not need to caffeinate myself to function. I mean, that that's a game changer for me. And I'm always telling people and you know, not everybody wants to hear that because they want to eat what they want to eat. But that's why they're having to rev up with three coffees in the morning. Nothing against coffee, but some people need it to function. You shouldn't need caffeine in the morning to function correct
1: well absolutely well can i mean caffeine is a stimulant right And it stimulates the nervous system but if you're having a hard time waking up you used a word. there is burnout so when we're burned out no amount of sleep is ever going to make us feel better right we need to start changing from the internal and it's extremely important to put whole foods the fur into our bodies the first thing i do in the morning is I put I have a squeeze a whole lemon organic lemon of course in a glass of warm water that's the first thing that I put into my body because and I tell people look if you want to have coffee that's your prerogative but have it after you eat breakfast right get up you know put do the lemon water stretch your body move it you know do a dry brush get your lymph system moving or go for a walk eat a fabulous breakfast and then if you want to have a cup of coffee your body can handle that but when you're putting coffee into an empty stomach the minute you wake up you're just stressing your body out you're not nourishing it so i always tell people fill your cup your cup has to be overflowing in order for you to give because if you're giving even from a full cup you're depleting it you're depleting yourself And we don't think in terms of that, right? We just give and give and give until we're just, I don't know why I'm so tired. I don't know why I'm this, I don't know why I'm that. And pay attention. I always tell people, how do you feel after you eat something? Keep a full food journal, Um, very important because that is absolutely going to tell you if the food is actually nourishing or depleting you. And then another thing that I like to tell people and if you, something's not right, I I use the analogy, it's a check engine light, right? If your check engine light is on, like you feel fine, but you're not right. Don't ignore that. Because what happens is, that, you know, and I talk to so many people that, because I work, at, as you know, at the Northern Baja Gerson Center, and mm-hmm. I work with so many patients that they knew, but they ignored it. They, they felt the pain, or they didn't feel good, or they saw the blood in their stools, or the blood in their urine, and they just ignored it. And there does come a point in every disease when there is no return. And I encourage people, as scary as it is, get that check engine light checked, find out, because your chances of turning that around are much greater than if you wait too long.
0: Absolutely, no, that that's, so well said, Suzanne. And, and I want to go back to something that you said. Um, So the first two diagnosis, diagnoses that you had, um, were uh, you didn't really make those lifestyle changes, it was the third diagnosis where you made a real shift in your lifestyle. Do I have that right?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, because I was well, because, well, what happened was, I, like I said, my friends, um, when I, when I was diagnosed, they were like, well, what chance do we have? Like you're the healthiest person we know. Like my lifestyle was good. I was doing wheatgrass every day. I was, you know, taking my supplements. I was eating salads. I, you know, I was eating organic. It was and so, um, but the third time I went to a natural path. Well, the second time I went to the natural path and I did start making changes, you know, so it was the second one did not throw me off. It was the third one because I didn't see that coming at all. Right? I was fine. I had made the changes. I had, you know, I I was doing everything. I mean, I went, I did the 30 day incurable by Dr. Schultz. I had, I was doing um, uh, colonics. I did like a series of six colonics when I was diagnosed a third time before I had done anything. Um, I was, I had never felt better in my entire life after I did Dr. Schultz's 30 day incurable. When I went back to get tested they told me the spot grew. They said it grew and wow. I walked into this despair and I just yeah. just and I mean on my now this is an interesting story on my hands and knees crying on my with my kitchen floor and I literally felt and I was alone. And I felt two thumbs lift me up under my armpits and lift me up. And this voice as loud as day said, do you want to live or do you want to die? The choice is yours. And I was like, whoa. And then from nowhere, this is burst of energy came and I was like, I choose life. And it was that energy that just propelled so, me. So that was when then they wanted to do the mesectomy, you know, take the fat from my butt, therapy, so on and so forth. And and that was when I found Gerson. When I just said I've got there, I'm, whatever I'm doing is not working, and there's something that I have to do. And I've never looked back. And it was a complete, utter lifestyle change on every level.
0: So, Suzanne, tell me about the 70/30 rule. You touched on that earlier in our conversation today. Um, can you a little elaborate a little bit on that for our listeners?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, so basically, um it's it's a rule um, i mean well they use it in business they'll use it with food and and i use it when i'm working with patients to you know help them navigate how they're going to make the correct food choices right for, for that that are health affirming choices as opposed to health denying choices and so you know and look you know what food is amazing right and it's pleasurable and it's you know it brings us together and we we eat for many different reasons, not just to fuel the body. So this isn't to make food out to be so bad, but you know, oftentimes because of all the food that's out there that is processed and we're looking for convenience and we just grab it, you know, grab it, we microwave it, we call it a day. Again, the cumulative effect of eating that way over a lifetime is detrimental to your health. We know that. That I'm not like making any conspiracy theory claim here. So I help people navigate that world by separating it into 70% of the time you eat whole food, plant-based, organic, really well, life-affirming foods. 30% of the time, eat whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. Now, that could be 80% of the time you eat really, really well and 20% or 90% and 10%. And the reason I use those particular percentages, it's based on your health, right? If you're a healthy person, you know, eating 70% of the time really well and 30% whatever you want is perfect. But if you're trying to undo a disease and really start to regenerate the body, 90% of the time. If you're fighting cancer, it's really 100% of the time for a period of time. And on the Gerson therapy, it's two years that you're doing that because Max Gerson, what he knew and what we know is it takes two years for the liver to fully regenerate. And Max Gerson believed that a person who was sick had a toxic liver. The liver is our, it's the sponge in the filtration system of our body. So we have to support it so that it can remove the toxins. And so I just help people navigate, okay, how are you going to create conditions in your body to be able to heal itself and what, whatever that is, right? So. You know, we're constantly being bombarded every single day with environmental toxins and pollutants. Um, I mean, from you know, from the personal care products we put on our body to the water we drink to the air we breathe, um, it's it's crazy. And so our bodies can, you know, we pretty much just can eliminate that. But when you're compromised or the body is not opt- um, functioning optimally, then you start to have a breakdown,
0: right? Um, and you you mentioned the Gerson therapy. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of the work of Doctor Gerson, and I, I've studied Max Gerson for for years myself, just out of out of interest. Um, talk a little bit about that.
1: The whole premise of the Gerson therapy is the production of energy on a cellular level. That is what Max Gerson saw. And when a person is sick or dying, they are not producing energy on a cellular level. And our immune systems require energy in order to you know, do its job. And energy is created at the cellular level with oxygen and glucose. If oxygen can't penetrate the cell membrane, Because of the saturated fats that we're eating, it's repelled. And then it's that sugar that is in the cell that is like, okay, now what am I supposed to do? The body doesn't know what to do with the sugar, so it converts it to lactic acid. And lactic acid is what feeds cancer. Max Gerson saw this. He knew it intuitively a hundred years ago. And the, the whole therapy, he, it, there's coffee enemas, which a lot of people get freaked out. Coffee enemas, you know, I don't want to put coffee up my butt. But coffee enemas have, palm. so coffee, you use a very specific coffee. Um, it's a therapy blend. It Coffee has palmitic acid. Palmitic acid, What it does when you're doing a coffee enema is it helps to stimulate glutathione S-transferase. Glutathione is a master antioxidant into the body. And when you do coffee enemas, you're increasing that by 600%. Max Gerson saw this. Coffee enemas detoxify the liver. They help; will cure migraines. Max Gerson actually cured himself of migraines using coffee enemas. They help tremendously with pain. Now they're not to be used arbitrarily or for fun or oh, let me just willy nilly do this. But it's a serious and it's a it's a medical. I mean, they used to do coffee enemas years ago in hospitals. Mm-hmm. So it is it is a health. Um, affirming thing to do. But for every enema you do, you drink three juices, three cold pressed fresh juices. So you're replenishing your body. And I've talked to people over the years who are doing coffee enemas, but they're not replenishing, right? It's like a detoxification is serious. It's a serious business and you have to do it. I always recommend do it under the supervision of someone who knows what they're doing. Because I've seen many people get in trouble trying to do it themselves. And detoxification, as I said, is is a very serious business. You know, it's a two year protocol. It isn't, you know, it's not something you do willy nilly. It really is designed to reverse disease. And, and it does, and how it does it, the therapy in of itself is not reversing disease. It's creating the condition in the body to do that. And that's what I'm really clear about with people. Our bodies know how to heal itself if we just create those conditions. Right. And um, it's a whole food, plant-based diet. It's salt-free. I mean, sodium chloride will destroy the, the thyroid gland. Mm-hmm. We know that, um, which is why they iodize salt. Um, because when they first came out in the 20s, they weren't doing that, and everybody was getting greater. And mitochondria is produced by the thyroid gland, and it is the mitochondria that actually goes into the little organelles and helps the sugar and oxygen create energy. So that's what I mean when I say food is fuel, right? Food is literally Fueling the the molecules and the mechanisms within our body to produce energy. And if you're lethargic um, or you're not feeling well, your body isn't producing energy efficiently.
0: Right. No, that's uh, you're absolutely right. And um, I understand that the Gerson therapy is 100 percent vegan.
1: Absolutely. And absolutely. Dr. Vickers, who's the founder and director of the Northern Baja Gerson Center, he will tell you point blank you will not heal if you eat meat. Now, why is that? Well, meat, well, for many reasons, but primarily meat is very acidic, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're sick, your body is already acidic. And uh, it's very difficult to digest. It takes about seven days to digest meat. Um, it is, if you're not eating grass fed, hormone free meat, it is injected with so many antibiotics and growth promoting hormones that you are ingesting. And if people eat meat from, like three times a day, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I mean, once a month. Maybe. Okay? But three times a day is too much. You're taxing your body. You are you know, and these are the people who are constipated. They're bloated. They have gout. They don't feel well because you're literally backing up your system. Mm-hmm. And, another, and acidity is extremely important. We know that disease does not thrive in an alkaline system. But most people have no idea what that means. And the only way to alkalize, truly alkalize your body is with fruits and vegetables. You cannot do it with alkalizing agents. You can't do it with, you know, sodium bicarbonate and all the stuff that they're giving you. The definition of pH is potential hydrogen. And when you have a buildup of hydrogen in your bloodstream, you are acidic. And the only way to neutralize that hydrogen is with a whole food plant-based diet. Now people want to be alkaline like 9 and 10, but the bloodstream wants to be neutral, slightly alkaline, which is 7.1 to 7.4, and it will do everything in its power to do that. So. By feeding your body alkalizing foods, what you're doing is you're helping your bloodstream to be able to, to modulate because we do some, you know, during the day, sometimes we're more acidic, sometimes we're more alkaline, but we always want to keep that balance. And so I tell people don't, you know, don't get on the, you know, the the litmus test. Let's pee on the little, you know, litmus green yeah. thing every morning because our urine will only be as acidic or as alkaline as whatever it is it's trying to eliminate. And if you are taking alkalizing agents, your kidneys want to release that, right? You're, you're actually taxing your kidneys. Um, so I'm a real big fan of just, you know, nature's given us everything we need to be healthy. Right. We don't need go Outside that box, you know, we, yeah. we just don't. If it doesn't come from the ground or grow from a tree, eat it sparingly. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you touched on a, another thing that I know Dr. Gerson was big on, and that is the removal of fat from the diet with the exception of organic flax oil. Is that correct? Yes.
1: And at, well, what we know fat fuels cancer. And I know the keto fans out there are probably rolling their eyes, but I have seen people go on keto, and their cancers have literally doubled in size. Um, fat, and so Max Gerson saw that. I mean, he, you know, I mean, he didn't just like, oh, let's just get rid of fat. He saw that when he gave his patients fat, that their cancers grew, and it's. Especially hormone based, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have breast cancer, prostate, ovarian, cervical, no fat. Now, flax oil, the reason that he allowed flax oil, and we do need fat, you know, I'm not, you know, again, a healthy person can have avocados, right? And avocados are good. A healthy person can have um, um, olive oil. Absolutely, right? But when you are undoing cancer, fat is not your friend. And this is extremely important. Our bodies, our brains are made of cholesterol. We need some fats, but the as I was talking earlier about the cellular membrane, right, that allows the oxygen either to come in or it repels it, it, that cellular membrane is made up of fats. And it's made up of fats, Whatever fats you're feeding it. So if you're feeding it with high saturated fats, then what you're doing is creating an environment that has an abundance of hydrogen. And that hydrogen is repelling the oxygen molecule. What flax oil does is it reestablishes the integrity of the cell membrane. So that that cell membrane can then magnetize and pull in and accept the oxygen molecule. When the oxygen and glucose come together, that is what is creating energy on a cellular level.
0: Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. And um, did you use pancreatic enzymes at all in your journey? I did. did. Talk about that.
1: Yeah. Well, in pancreatic enzymes, um, really what they do is they help tear down, um, tumors is basically, so they, you know, so they're literally eating the tumor. Um, and so I, yes, I did them religiously for two years. Um, and then what happens is, as it's breaking down the tumor growth, um, that the, the, that's a waste product in the body, right? So now it's in the bloodstream, and then that's why then you do um, coffee enemas because now you're helping the body to eliminate whatever toxic burden you're creating when you're undoing cancer. And so whatever treatment option you use, I am a firm believer in doing um, enemas and things like that so that you're releasing that tumor burden. If you're doing chemo, you have to do a, a very modified version of Gerson because the toxicity level is very high for a person who does chemo. And um, and so we don't want what happens is that we're releasing the toxins faster than the body can remove them. And so they can get sick. So we always have to meet the person at wherever their toxic load is and then modify the therapy based on that so that they can do it, um, you know, in a comfortable way and that we're not taxing the body.
0: Right. Um, So tell me about the uh, Northern Baja Gerson Center. That's where you... That's where you help out Dr. Vickers with cancer patients?
1: I do. So I work with patients that arrive there. Um, So I was a patient there six years ago. Um, And just, you know, I mean, it it literally changed my life. And then I would go, you know, every year for a tune-up um because you know you get into life and you know things happen and so i would kind of go and recalibrate if you will and i got to know the staff and i was going through a huge transition in my life i was in corporate america for a long time and I was just wanting something new and something different. This is my passion to help people navigate this rocky terrain um, and know that there's good that comes from it on the other side. And so Dr. Vickers travels a lot. And last year he asked me if I you know, wanted to come and help out with the patients. And I and I do. And, you know, my role is sort of evolved into um really being a major support for them on every level. So we are a teaching clinic. We teach people about the Gerson therapy so that when they go home, they can absolutely um, continue this journey for two years. Patients typically come into the clinic anywhere from two to four weeks. Um, They obviously learn everything um, about the the therapy as well as participating in it. We offer immunotherapies and we do, you know, near infrared and hyperbaric and the beamer mat and some other things. Um, But our goal always is to give people the tools that they need so that they can create the conditions in their body so their body heals itself. And that's really what it is, it's strengthening that immune system, strengthening um, and nourishing the body, and it's funny because it is a huge lifestyle change and uh, and an eating right. I mean, people, it's no salt, it's no fat, very little spices. I mean, there's no spices. I mean, you put like no basil, no mm-hmm. cinnamon. Um, because those are considered aromatics and those are toxic to a toxic liver. If you don't have a toxic liver, it's fine. But if you do, it's not. And so what we do is we create an environment where we're not taxing the body at all. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's we're detoxing and then filling the body. It's 100% whole food plant-based. People get confused because they think it's raw. So what happens is our food, the, the Gerson on the Gerson therapy, the food is cooked at low temperatures for long periods of time. There is a term called slow cooking. It's slow cooking to preserve the the nutrients. So when you cook food, it's a form of pre-digestion. Sick people tend to have a sick a sick tummy, right? Mm -hmm. 70% of our immune system is in our digestive tract. They're typically not absorbing nutrients. They're not digesting food properly. And so what we're doing is we are cooking the food thoroughly at low temperatures so that the body can take what it needs. And we always serve, there's the Hippocrates, we always serve a salad with the food so they get a little bit of raw. There's always a potato of some kind, which kind of acts as a bulk. We have the Hippocrates soup, um, which is a recipe that's 2,500 years old, and it's a kidney cleanser. So the Hippocrates soup and the uh, flax oil are non-negotiables. What we like to say, non-negotiables on the Gerson therapy. There, it's medicine. Mm-hmm. It's literally medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you know, we have fun, and we have amazing chefs, and we teach people. We give them the recipes. We teach them how to cook. Um, and just how to navigate this, this world. And yeah. if people get overwhelmed, I always say, I mean, you know, undoing cancer is not for the faint of heart, regardless of the path you choose. There's no easy path. And I wish there was. Yeah. And if there wasn't be the first one to say, Hey. But you know, it's a systemic disease cancer and it started long before it was diagnosed. And so you really got to go in and excavate, not just physically, but I always say spiritually and mentally.
0: Yeah. And um, I've got to wrap up here shortly because we're uh, unfortunately uh, running out of time. Um, There's so much more to cover, though. Um, I was going to ask you, Suzanne, how uh, how do people deal with the sodium elimination? I know in the standard American diet, it's just bombarded with sodium. Sodium's in every single thing that people eat. And years ago, I heard Charlotte Gerson quote a a book from, um, I can't remember the name of the person, but it was a book about enzymes. I'm sure you've heard about this. Um, And she said, uh, um, when you eat a lot of sodium, it's in your saliva and then it almost like it requires you require more sodium because it because mm-hmm. the sodium levels in your body are continually elevated and it affects your taste buds so you can't eat salt and when you eliminate salt um i eliminated salt a long time ago and now when you have something even slightly salty you can taste it whereas before everything was bland is that an adjustment for people at the at the treatment center oh
1: yeah Oh yeah. The first couple days, depending on the individual, but oh my gosh. Yes. People go nuts and, and yeah, they, they do, but here's what happens miraculously or not, but here is literally what happens. And that is within seven to 10 days and sometimes sooner, but it's typically been my observation. They don't want the salt anymore. Really? They're they're actually, tasting food for the first time, they realize like, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, this is so good. Oh my God, is the soup different today? Oh, wow. Like this is amazing because now they're able to taste food. We only need a quarter teaspoon of salt a day, our bodies. That's the requirement our bodies need. We will, and then what we do is we eliminate about 270 milligrams of salt a day. But we consume, I mean, if you look at the back of a box, if you're, you know, eating something from a box, 270 milligrams is, that's like normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, whoa, depending on what people are eating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, salt, it's, you know, it was, it's not, um, it's a preservative is mm-hmm. really what it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was used. Preserve food and somehow we decided to put it in all of our foods and then i mean obviously probably did preserve them but and again i always tell when what, one of the recommendations i make to people when they're starting out on this journey is before you learn unlearn unlearn everything you think you know so that you can then start to learn New things. And yeah. that probably when I'm working with cancer patients, um, you know, people come in and they, well, sugar feeds cancer and this does this. And they think they know everything. And it's like, well, yes, yeah, sugar feeds cancer in an acidic environment, mm-hmm. not in an alkaline one. Right. So let's alkaline your body. Okay. You know, um, it's those types of things that is just changing your mindset, which we talked about once, you know, earlier on in
0: this. Yeah. Thing. Well, that's awesome. Um, thank you so much, Suzanne. I hope you'll uh, join us again for another episode. It's been really fun having you on. And uh, I feel there's so much more we can cover. So, would you come back and join us on another future episode?
1: I would love to. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank
0: Absolutely. you so much. We really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you for letting me talk about what I'm so passionate about. <laughs> oh, absolutely.
0: Well, the, and thank you for joining us uh, for this edition of The Natural Man Podcast. Remember, you can check us out on Instagram at The Natural Man Podcast and keep up with us on there as well. And uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, my name is Mike C. Stay healthy. This has been The Natural Man Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast for more episodes. The information contained in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice of any kind or to diagnose and or treat any disease. Please consult a physician for personal medical advice. Always consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding a medical condition. Never substitute, disregard, or delay seeking professional medical advice or treatment because of something you've heard on the Natural Man Podcast.